welcome to What the Weird, a strange little podcast about all things paranormal, otherworldly, and mysterious. I'm your host, Rowan. In today's episode, we will be discussing the history of seances and some of the interesting folks involved in them. I would like to make a note that some cultures practice seances in relation to their spiritual beliefs. Out of great respect for closed practices, I will not be going into too much detail about that type. All right. So there are several types of seances. There's stage mediumship, informal social type seances, and leader-assisted seances. In stage mediumship, which is the most well-known, practitioners claim to contact the spirits of the dead in front of an audience. Informal seances are usually associated with occult practices. You only need two to three people and tools include spirit boards. I have performed this kind and they are said to test our understanding of boundaries between reality and the paranormal. The leader assisted type is what we most see in TV and movies. There is a small group in a dark room with a medium who contacts the dead through automatic writing, knocking or tap, and trances. This type is unfortunately most associated with scandal and fraud because it's so easy to manipulate an environment rich with spirit communication in a pitch black room. There are several tools and techniques used in seances. Some include trances or altered states where the medium does not remember what occurred and involve an assistant keeping notes. There are spirit boards, talking boards, or Ouija boards, as most know them to be called. These types of communication have a bad reputation for being evil. I'm telling you now, they aren't inherently evil, they are simply tools. Stage mediums are placed into homemade portable closets, sometimes bound with ropes to prevent them from manipulating the tools. There were also special tables designed to levitate in the presence of a spirit, but unfortunately, and of no surprise, these were easily manipulated and faked. In some seances, a spirit trumpet is used, and this is a horn-shaped speaking tube that were said to magnify the spirit voices. Honestly, I don't know if I'd be able to attend these types because I wouldn't be able to contain my laughter. Some famous self-described mediums include Edgar Casey, Arthur Ford, more about him later in the episode too, Chip Coffey from Kindred Spirits, Alison Dubois of the TV show Medium, and Netflix medium Tyler Henry. Those in history that have embraced spiritualism include such notable names such as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Alexander Graham Bell, Thomas Edison, and my personal favorite human, Dan Aykroyd. Some noteworthy debunkers like Harry Price of the National Laboratory of Cyclical Research, Frank Podmore from the Society for Cyclical Research, and the famous magician Harry Houdini, who spent the last years of his life 
inflaming the spiritualist community. The very first ever written account of a seance was performed by two sisters in 1848. Kate and Margaret Fox, often called the Fox Sisters, play a large and important part in the history of spiritualism. They developed and used a series of knocks and taps in place of the alphabet to communicate with the dead. 174 years ago today, on recording day, March 31st, 1848, in their upper New York farmhouse, The Fox sisters challenged the spirit of a man who claimed to be a murdered peddler who was buried beneath the cellar. According to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, when neighbors heard of the spirit, they started digging and actually found human remains. This date marks the beginning of the American spiritualist movement. Sadly, in the late 1800s, penniless and Margaret suffering from alcohol addiction, the sisters agreed to lie and confess to fraud for only $1,500, which would be equivalent to $36,000 today. Margaret regretted the decision immediately, but it was too late. The damage was already done. Their reputation was ruined. The sisters both died a few years later. Despite their confession, they both played a role in the history of seances, spirit communication, mediumship, and spiritualism. For those who don't know what spiritualism is, it's defined as a belief that departed spirits communicate with and show themselves to the living, especially through mediums. In Peter Aykroyd's book, The Encyclopedia of Ghosts and Spirits, A more formal definition of spiritualism is a 19th century social and religious movement that derived its appeal from spirit communications and evidence in support of survival after death. In the midst of this anti-spiritualist movement at the time is Harry Houdini, famed magician and stuntman. In the 1920s, after his mother died and racked with grief, Houdini attempted to contact her. He found that the mediums he kept meeting with were often frauds. This began a six-year smear campaign against spiritualism and mediums. He started to investigate their techniques and try to replicate them. Despite at one time faking as a medium himself, Houdini soon forgot all about contacting his mother and instead focused all of his efforts on proving them fake. I must add here that I wonder if there wasn't some sort of misogyny going on, as most of the spiritualists he investigated were women. What's funny to me is he still made a pact with his friends and had a secret code word with his wife in the event of his death. Houdini made projection slides of several mediums and presented lectures to the public. He wrote to dozens of newspapers throughout the country, denouncing the legitimacy of mediums. In 1923, he took a break from his magic act and traveled across the country to present his findings. 
later joining a panel that was put together by the Scientific American magazine. He even built a special cabinet he coined the Fraud Preventer Cabinet to test mediums. It was a crate with a slanted top and had openings for the head and arms so that the medium couldn't manipulate the tools. Just imagine a mini outhouse where your head and your arms can stick through. In the fall of 1925, Houdini set out on a tour of lectures debunking mediums and psychics. He offered $10,000 to anyone who could prove supernatural phenomena that he couldn't mirror back. Shows sold out everywhere he went. In fact, inspired by Houdini in 1964, the magician James Randi offered $1,000 to anyone who could provide scientifically verifiable paranormal abilities. Over time, the amount increased, and by 1996, it was $1 million. By 2015, after more than 1,000 applicants, the contest closed without a demonstration that the paranormal was in fact real. By spring of 1926, Houdini returned to New York to rest for the summer months and plan his fall season. In a strange series of events, his fall tour was plagued with bad luck. His wife became ill with ptomine poisoning, which is just a fancy way of saying food poisoning. Harry fractured his ankle during an act, and he was even punched in the stomach which possibly led to his demise. There are conflicting reports that state he died of an appendix rupture after refusing medical treatment to continue a show. After his death, his wife Bess held seances yearly on the day of his death for another 10 years trying to contact her husband. These were often broadcast on the radio and listened to across the world. In 1928, a medium named Arthur Ford claimed he had received a message from Houdini that was eventually validated as the secret code between Bess and Harry. The very last seance was held on the 10th anniversary of Houdini's death, October 31, 1936. The medium called out for Houdini to make himself known, but after an hour-long broadcast, nothing happened. Just as the seance came to an end, a violent thunderstorm broke out. The participants would later learn that the storm did not occur anywhere else but the seance location. Let's take a minute to appreciate the irony that Houdini was proven wrong, if we are to believe that he made communication with Bess and Arthur. We cannot talk about the history of seances without including the Aykroyd family. Strong believers in the paranormal spirit communication and the inspiration for the Ghostbusters franchise. Dan Aykroyd describes himself as a spiritualist and a lifelong believer of mediums, psychics, and UFOs. His father Peter and grandfather Dr. Samuel Augustus, Dr. A for short, were all spiritualists. While cleaning out Dr. A's house after his death, Dan and his sister found a blue trunk full of notebooks and memories of a lifelong pursuit of answers about the paranormal. Dr. A wrote 83 journals full of family history and research, 
which was eventually compiled into a book by Peter Aykroyd, Dan's father, called The History of Ghosts, and was the inspiration, of course, for the Ghostbusters. Dr. A originally taught in a one-room schoolhouse, but the pay was shit. Obviously not a direct quote, um, but we can see things never really change. With Dr. A's love for science, he enrolled in the University of Toronto School of Dentistry eventually. Upon graduation and after his residency, he settled in a small town and opened up his own practice. Dentistry during this time was primitive. Patients suffered from pain during procedures. While researching ways to ease that pain, Dr. A found hypnotism. There isn't any proof he actually tried this technique to ease his patient's pain, but it opened up a world of paranormal fascination. Dr. A inspired his son Peter and grandson Dan into a lifelong love and interest in the paranormal and gave us one of my favorite movie franchises. The Witch in Me cannot talk about communicating with the dead and leave out spirit boards and Ouija. Ouija spirit or talking boards are flat and marked with the letters of the alphabet as well as the words yes and no. I'm going to trust that most of you have seen a Ouija board at some time. Some of the boards additionally also have hello and goodbye in the corners, and then participants place their fingers on a planchette and it moves around the board to spell out words. Ouija is actually a trademark of Hasbro and Parker Brothers. It's been said a businessman named Elijah Bond created the parlor game. When the original board was asked what it should be called, it actually answered Ouija. And then when asked what it meant, it said luck. I cannot find anywhere else or any other language that this is in. It is just arcane knowledge of the Ouija board. Spiritists use these talking boards as a quicker way to communicate with spirits during seances. The tapping and knocking took far too long, and sometimes those seances lasted late into the night because of it. Of course, the scientific community has long disputed the practice as a pseudoscience, claiming the movement can be explained by an unconscious movement called the idea motor effect. Today, mainstream Christians and Catholics warn against the use of spirit boards, calling them evil and an instrument of the devil, even going as far as claiming you can be possessed while using one. Aided by the Fox sisters, the spiritualist movement progressed in the second half of the 19th century. At the time, it was considered compatible with Christian dogma, meaning you could hold a seance on a Saturday and attend church the next morning without any qualms. Go figure. At the time, the spiritualist movement and the spirit board were considered a wholesome activity to communicate with loved ones, specifically during a time when the average lifespan was less than 50 years. One of the first mentions of the talking board was found in China around 1100 AD. 
where the automatic writing method called Fuji, which translates to planchette writing. Its usage of this method is akin to necromancy and communion with the spirit world under special rituals and supervision. I do believe it is considered a closed practice. It was a central practice of the Chin Chin school until it was forbidden by the Ding Dynasty. Like I said before, talking boards became part of the spiritualist movement as a tool to speak to the dead. Following the American Civil War, mediums business increased, allowing survivors to contact lost loved ones. My curious nature always guides me to look at all sides, dare I leave out the fascinating science behind spirit boards. Michael Faraday, the creator of an extensive list of engineering and electromagnetic science inventions, like the Faraday cage, was investigating the idea motor response of talking boards while investigating table turning, also known as seances. Various studies have been conducted throughout the years, recreating the effects in a lab under laboratory conditions all the while the subjects moved the planchette involuntarily. In fact, a study done in 2012 found that when answering yes or no questions, spirit boards were significantly more accurate than just guessing, suggesting it possibly draws from the unconscious or subconscious mind. This is absolutely fascinating to me because we have a whole world inside our brains that we know very little about. Skeptics and critics alike claim what is spelled on the board is what is going through the mind of the operators. They claim those using the board go into a dissociative state and perform involuntary movements called automism. Scholars call the practice a con to fool others out of their money and only offer half-truths. During the 1970s and into the 1980s satanic panic era, Users of talking boards were thought to be cult members and possessed or evil. We've all seen in pop culture the use of Ouija. There's even an entire movie franchise created after Ouija. And in Salem, Massachusetts, you'll find the world's largest Ouija board. It took 99 sheets of plywood, weighs more than four and a half tons, and measures 72 feet by 44 feet. The planchette is 400 pounds and is 15.5 feet in length. The artist used bowling balls as ball bearings to help smooth out the movement and allow the planchette to be used by a single person. The giant Ouija board is available seasonally and of late the creator and artist quote saying, Ouija is afraid of the current pandemic, so he chooses to stay in his lair and hibernate until the coast is clear. If you would like more information on where it is, you can visit www.ouijazilla.com. I can still remember the first time I used a Ouija board. Picture it. I was 12 and absolutely obsessed with the craft. In a dark basement, along with my best friend, her sister, and another friend, we tried to communicate with spirits. We apparently made 
contact with a little boy who said he liked to watch us play on our Friday nights at my friend's house. Well, this terrified me and I didn't touch another board until I was in my 30s. Whether you believe in the ability to communicate with the dead, are skeptical or hold steadfast that it's all fake, one thing is for sure. Death and the afterlife is one of life's greatest mysteries. There are many myths surrounding Ouija and talking boards, but what began as a spiritual practice morphed into a lie perpetuated by the satanic panic of the 1980s. Communicating with the dead gives those who are grieving a sort of hope. The Fox sisters made history and paved the way for mediums, psychics, clairvoyants, and enthusiasts for years to come. In the pursuit of the great mystery, what happens after we die? If you're hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I hope you've enjoyed the very first episode of What the Weird, and if you did, please leave us a review. Join me next week as we discuss sleep paralysis demons and the phenomena of multiple people seeing the same thing. I'm always looking for personal stories of the paranormal, so head over to the website and submit your story today. To stay up to date on the weird, subscribe to our podcast. Check out our website at whattheweird.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WTWeirdPod. Until next time, stay weird, my friends.